Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 492 for October 9th, 2019. On today's show, multi-instrumentalist Ryan Keberly. This show is supported by its members, without whom the Jazz Session would quite literally not be possible. I'm trying hard to turn this show and my other podcast, which is called A Brief Chat, into my living, and you can help me do that by joining today at thejazzsession.com join. There are now two membership levels, $5 and $10 per month. Both come with cool bonus material. Thanks to Matt Marowitz for becoming the latest member of the show. Ryan Kemberley's latest album with his band Catharsis is called The Hope I Hold. It features Camila Meza, who has been on this show several times, along with, I've always said his name Jorge Rader, but it occurs to me as I say it out loud for the first time that I mostly say it that way because of Matt Groening from The Simpsons. So Jorge, I don't actually know how your last name is pronounced, but anyway, it's spelled R-O-E-D-E-R if you want to look it up. Uh, also, Eric Dube and new member Scott Robinson. The opening suite is based on a poem by Langston Hughes, whose name I do know how to pronounce. Here's how it starts. My guest on this episode is trombonist and composer, and as it turns out, vocalist and keyboard player as well, Ryan Keberly. He and his band Catharsis have a new record out called The Hope I Hold. Ryan, it's great to have you here on the show. Thanks. It's my pleasure, Jason. This album is really, really fantastic. Uh, I was excited when you, you. sent it to me, and uh, I've really enjoyed listening to it. And I know that, at least in some ways, because I, I have heard previous Catharsis music, that this is a is a departure in some key ways from what people might be used to with this band, including the introduction of uh, Camila Meza not just singing, but also, well, A, singing birds, and then B, also playing her guitar. Previously, there there often was not a chordal instrument. And then you yeah. are doing even more on this record than you have in the past as well. So can you can you talk about that? Why the transformation? Did it Did it just feel right for this particular batch of music? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a few different answers, but I think the the overarching theme for this band is that it's a real working band, and and I'm I'm really proud to to say that it's not an easy feat these days. I mean, perhaps it never has been, but in today's day and age, just getting a gig period is is a monumental task, especially to sustain a working schedule for a band over it's been seven or eight years now is something that we're all very proud of, and the changes that our listeners have have heard on this album and on, on previous albums is a result of a band that plays a lot and that is, although maybe not a collective in the traditional sense, I'm still the leader, I do most of the, the, the kind of grunt work, but it very much is a musical collective in that everyone is uh, of equal importance and has equal say as far as where the music goes on any given night. So uh, I mentioned we were just in your neighborhood last month on tour. And I mean, some of this music, even this new music was going in so many new directions that I, even I was kind of surprised. And that's a really, really fun thing to be a part of just in general <clears throat> as a band member, but as a leader and as a composer, it really is kind of, I think for most leaders, it's, it's, it's really what we're all after to have a band that can create 
music that you've composed and take it to places that you never dreamed of is a very special thing. So I think, you know, like I said, we've been around quite a few years now and, and our diehard fans um, certainly heard some sounds and some directions in this current batch of music that are different from before. But if they've been keeping score over the years, I think that every album we've been saying that. And so perhaps the theme was really that this band is constantly evolving and I'm sure our next album will be saying a similar thing. Oh, it's new, new directions, new sounds than the previous. So it's exciting to, to be a part of. I am the poor white fooled and pushed apart. I am the black man bearing slavery's car. don't get to talk to too many people who have working bands because of the very reasons that you stated. I mean, the idea that it's it's hard to get people together regularly because everyone's individual schedule is busy and there just aren't yeah. necessarily a ton of places to be working, especially depending on where yeah. you are geographically. Can you talk about yeah. how you have kept this as a working band and maybe even what that means in this context? Well, for me, a working band in today's day and age is a band that's playing on a regular basis. And uh, I've been in New York for 20 years. So, you know, for, for, from my perspective as a, as a New York-based musician, a freelance musician, working regularly is yeah, maybe like once a month. You know, I mean, it used to be that a regular working band would play weeks every night for weeks in a row. And those days are long gone. But if you can be either rehearsing, performing, recording, even just hanging in some ways is, is just as valuable on a monthly basis, at least over the years, you're going to, I think, realize the, the, the fruits of that, of that regular communal collaboration. So that's exactly what we've done. And in the early days, um, this would have been 2011 is when I first put the band together. Um, it was something that I had to really work extremely hard at. Well, it's still hard work, but I guess, just more diligently work at, you know, the, always thinking months ahead. And if there was a month where it looked like we weren't going to be performing, I would just book a gig. And yes, it meant I'd probably lose some money. And sometimes it meant I'd have to have a sub here or there in the band, but just, just creating that um, habit really of expecting to be performing together on a regular monthly basis was something that I was very conscious of. And so after a number of years developing a network around the country and also in Europe and Japan, it's a little bit easier now to sustain a working touring schedule, although now it's, it's um, thinking years in advance as opposed to months in advance. And we're literally booking 2021 as we speak. It's something that is very much kind of like always on my mind. I mean, I'm, I'm still a freelance musician, but I do a lot less freelancing than I used to. And all of that extra time and energy has been put directly into keeping catharsis alive and well and booking as many gigs as I can and um, trying to get better, better gigs, you know, better listening audiences, better paying gigs when, when the opportunity arises, et cetera. So um, it's really just a matter of, of being extremely um, being willing to sacrifice on many levels for me personally to keep it going and being willing to work really, really hard. Um, and, you know, hearing no a lot, you, you, you hear infinitely more no's than you do yeses. <laughs> and my goal has just been to slightly shift that percentage, you know, maybe it's 2% yeses now instead of 1% yeses five years ago. That's just the way it goes, but it's definitely paid off.
let's dig into the music. I have made it a habit for all the years I've been interviewing musicians to listen to the records without reading anything first. So without reading press materials or reviews or anything, because I like to, I like to form, you know, my own opinion and kind of come to it uh, with no preconceptions. And so I started listening. Super cool. Thanks. I started listening to this record and uh, very early on in the first track, I thought that's a Langston Hughes poem, right? And because uh, I'm a, <laughs> wow. a big, big fan of Langston Hughes, and in my other life, I'm a, a poet and do a lot of work in the poetry world. Right. And, uh, and as soon as I started hearing, first of all, I mean, I, I adore Camila Meza, and then hearing her sing Langston's words, and I was like, well, I don't know if this me- record was made for me, but it's it's certainly hitting all of my spots right now. So there's not, this is not going to be a hardball interview when it finally comes time to talk to Ryan about this album, because this is exactly in my wheelhouse. And um, I, I just really I, I'm just really impressed by it. And I think it's it's a real balancing act for people to interpret the experiences of other people with very different lives in their own art. Mm. And Mm. I think this record really pulls it off in a, in a very tasteful and musical and, and respectful way that I think is necessary when you're going to try to approach, I mean, really one of the canonical pieces of writing in American poetry in African American poetry in the struggle for equality in this country uh, so I was really impressed with the way it just grafted perfectly into the music. And I wanted to ask how it got there in the first place. I really appreciate the, the, the sentiments because that was always very much on my mind. And I'm you know, very much aware of the, just the, the importance of this, this piece of work and of Langston Hughes in general, and his place in American literature. Uh, I mean, for me, uh, I was also a huge fan of his writing and it's always been an inspiration for me artistically. So, you know, writing with words, composing music with words is relatively new for me. And so I think maybe that was a good thing because I'm still experimenting with different approaches. There's, uh, there's a number of challenges as you alluded to, um, and we probably don't have time to go into all of them, but you know, the, the big thing is taking words that definitely weren't intended to be set to music and then do just that, set them to music. How, how can you make that work on a musical level without sacrificing the flow and just the artistic integrity of, of the original literary work? And so for me, I'm still still learning different ways to approach that and that's really kind of been where my musical head has been at for the last few years. In fact, uh, right around that same time, I started writing lyrics, maybe with lyrics about four years ago. And around that same time, I started teaching a songwriting course at Hunter. And so, of course, songwriting from a musical standpoint is something I've been doing my whole, just about my whole life. So that's a no brainer. But I was, you know, reading textbooks literally on on how to write with lyrics and how does that work uh, with the human voice. Some words and or vowels resonate better in different registers of the voice, et cetera, et cetera. And how does the syllabic rhythm translate to musical rhythm? All these things. So I'm I'm still learning myself, but for me, um, the compositional process, musically speaking always comes down to, does it feel natural? Does it feel honest for me? And so much of what I do as a composer and an improviser are guided by that one principle. Just does it feel natural? Is it honest? Is this something that I would have created, you know, in the kind of ideal musical world? Is this something that would have come from me? With that being my, my kind of guiding light, I, I you know, created this music and in some cases would create rhythms from the words and then set pitch or music to that rhythm. In other cases, I had melodies that I created in advance and then kind of found ways to set the words to the melody. So um, there wasn't any one one real process that I found to work. It just really depended on the piece of music and the section of poetry that I drew from. I mean, that was maybe the hardest for me, but also wound up being the most rewarding was how do you take this this work because let America be America again, the poem that we're working from here is really long. (laughs) I mean, you could easily set like two or three albums to that, to that work. And so how, you know, going through it and finding the sections that I felt were most poignant or were the message directly related to the messages I wanted to tackle and convey to our listeners. And then 
how do you find ways to make that work in a musical setting? What's going to be your bridge? What's going to be your chorus? You know, these kinds of decisions. And then also coming to the realization that, hey, this is my music. I can take some liberty if I want to. If I want to repeat a phrase over and over again and make that, uh, you know, the, the hook, so to speak, of a song, I can do that. That's okay. So maybe like not being not being too careful with the original words at, at a certain point was an important uh, realization for me to make. I'm excited to hear, particularly as I look back over the 20 years now that I've been interviewing jazz musicians, I, f- I find a real resurgence happening now, or at least it feels to me that way from where I'm sitting, of people using their music to speak to the time in which we live. And in a way, that always mm. happens. Whenever you make art, it's you know, it's an act of, it's a political act, it's a revolutionary act, even if you don't necessarily yes. think of it that way. But, you know, yes. it always is that way. But the explicit use of music to speak to our, our common conditions, I feel like is happening more and more now. I mean, for example, even on, you know, Camila's most recent record, which she was on to talk about yep. last season. So there's, there's all kinds of mm-hmm. cool stuff going on nowadays. And this album is obviously, its heart is right on its sleeve. And it's very explicit in that kind of, music as political communication. So I guess I, I'd just like to ask yeah. you about that. Tell me tell me why that's important to you. I've always been engaged politically on, on, on a more social level. And, and um, you know, at, at least since I moved to New York, I'm not a New Yorker. I grew up in a very kind of um, very white bread, uh, uh, like sheltered suburban uh, West Coast suburb. And, and I, having been in New York now for 20 years, the contrast between where I grew up and where many of my peers grew up on the East coast and inner cities, et cetera, it was always kind of very striking to me. And, um, you know, through that, through the Obama administration and seeing these social policies or at least an attempt at creating a, a, a better country for everyone was, was so encouraging. And then to see all of it just suddenly fall by the wayside uh, from a political perspective was I, I just, I couldn't take it, you know, and, and um, I, I was listening recently to your Mark Dresser podcast and, you know, he talked about this, like this just constant outrage and we, we almost get tired of, of the outrage. It's, it's an overload. And for me, channeling that into my music, I think it's something, it's been something I've always done, even as a kid. Um, I think, you know, when I, when I would be dealing with something on a personal level my my instrument, the music, whether it was listening to music or or playing music, practicing music was always the the primary outlet for me. So um, I don't think it's, it's it's a surprise to see this this political and social uh, commentary come through. But how I've done that has changed very much in the last few years. Uh, again, dealing with lyrics because, as you mentioned, I mean, great art is always a, a social and a commentary on, on some level. But the minute you add lyrics, suddenly become the message becomes infinitely more direct. And I think that's more true now than ever before because we're living in a time when the average listener has a diminishing skill set and and you know people's ability to listen on a to music that is on an informed and on kind of a empathetic level is is just not what it was three generations ago unfortunately it's just the fact of the matter but you throw words in there people are very good at hearing words and 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 responding to lyrics that's very you know i mean if you look at kind of where our current mainstream music is at it's all about words almost 100 percent words so it's been fun for me to be able to create music that maybe connects with people on a slightly more direct level or just connects with them more period because for me, that's what music is all about. That's why I'm a, I'm a musician. It's because of, of the way that music connects with me emotionally, primarily on an emotional level, but also intellectual level. And so to create music that I'm hoping connects with our listeners in similar emotional ways um, is something I've always been pursuing and using words and now using words with a very specific political message is kind of where we're at, uh, or at least where, where we are with catharsis.
let's take a break from the music to talk about membership. I've been recording conversations with musicians since 2007. I think it's really important work that deserves public support. I think we need to document this era in the history of improvised music, and I have made it my mission to do that. The thing about missions, though, is missions don't really pay the rent or put food on the table, and I would like to be able to do that by recording these interviews and bringing them to you, as I've been doing for the last 12 years. The other part of that equation, though, is you turning from a listener to a member. There are membership levels at $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. At the $5 level, you get a monthly bonus episode, plus early access to every show and a yearly gift. At the $10 level, you get all of that, plus a second monthly episode exploring a classic jazz recording. If this show is to become my living, I need somewhere at least around 200 members. Right now, there are just over 40. If you'd like to become the next new member, you can go to thejazzsession.com slash join and say yes right now. Now, back to the music. I want to take a uh, slightly more lighthearted left turn here and say, dude, you can, <laughs> you can really, really sing. Uh, I, I was Thank you. when I, the first time I got to uh, Zamba de Lozano on this album, and you and Camila are, you know, singing this incredible duet. I was like, wow, who's? The, I wonder who the vocalist is on this record. The other vocalist <laughs> on this record, because he's really good, and I don't, I don't recognize that voice at all. And then I read the materials, and it was you. It's it's for real. Like, it's not a trombone player singing. Like, it's a singer singing, and if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I, I don't mean that in any kind of derogatory that. way. But. Oh, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I, I should say, on Ensemble de Lozano, that is Jorge singing the second Oh, is it really? Melody. Okay. Well, that is Jorge, like and, I, okay. and if, the, if the liner notes aren't clear, that's 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 our fault. But I, I don't I'm actually don't have on, a copy you know, of the liner back... notes, so that's why I, I have never oh, seen okay. the liner notes. I've only seen the press release and stuff, so. Yeah, but but I, I'm singing on 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 the third movement of our Hope I Hold Suite, America Will Be, and then also singing all the background vocals throughout the the record on the suite and also on some of the the Catharsis Trio stuff. And um, you know, I was a singer before I was a trombonist. I sang all through grade school, junior high, high school, um, in choirs, church choirs, and. Um, and then when I when I came to New York in 1999, my very first job, the way I paid my bills for almost six years, was leading the music at a Catholic church in Lower Manhattan, where I played piano and I sang. In fact, um, ironically, the the church at that time was primarily Hispanic. That was our only well attended service was our Spanish mass. So I also was singing all the liturgy in Spanish and. I don't speak Spanish by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I kind of had a crash course in pronunciation and, and some of the basics, at least when it comes to uh, Catholic liturgy Spanish. <laughs> so, um, you know, singing is is a huge part of me as a musician. When I compose, I'm oftentimes singing melodies at the piano. Um, I compose everything at the piano because piano is my, my second instrument. Um, but I would, I would say voice is also a second instrument. I, I, couldn't put one before the other. They're both things that I've done just about my whole life. And in some ways, I, I still feel more comfortable singing and playing piano than I do the trombone. I mean, the trombone is a beast of an instrument. It is a, such a hard instrument, especially to play jazz and especially to play the kind of modern jazz language on the trombone. It never gets easy. <laughs> so for me, singing and playing piano, it's almost like this, this relief, musical musical outlet that I can turn to and just let the music flow uh, less inhibited. So, or I should say less inhibited by, by technical limitations. And I don't know why it took me this long to, to kind of branch out. This is the first record where I'm really singing in more overt ways. And I definitely, I, I plan to pursue that. One thing I haven't done much of is singing with lyrics yet because delivering that lyrical message with the voice is a whole other thing that I feel like I want to take some more time 
studying and kind of kind of um, getting back to. But wordless lyrics is something I feel good about. And and um, maybe not coincidentally, the music I've been listening to the last couple of years has been um, 19 late 60s and 1970s Brazilian and uh, popular Brazilian music, MPB. Milton Nascimento and Toninho Horta and Edu Lobo, et cetera. And wordless vocals were a huge part of that tradition. And so that's um, it's been kind of fun to channel some of that influence into my music and actually get to sing some of it as well. Well, I wish I hadn't asked you that question so stupidly by mistaking who was singing on the song, but I'm leaving it in. Because, oh, no worries. You know, I'm a human being and whatever. People know what the jazz yeah, session of course. is at this no, point. And, and, and to your point, Jorge is a phenomenal singer and he never sings. So like for, for fans of Jorge, they should all definitely check that track out, Samba de Lozano, because he is yeah, he a bad mother you know what yeah and and he's doing it while he plays too i mean he's singing and playing he's like a male version of esperanza spaulding man i mean it's really like high level stuff <laughs> yeah that's pretty amazing <laughs> Actually, that part of the record, that that song and the songs around it, are performed uh, by a trio that's you know kind of inside the the larger ensemble, and that, as I understand it, uh, just from what I read, came about during a tour. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So we were asked to bring our our catharsis music to Japan, which was super exciting. Japan's one of my favorite places on the planet. In fact. I go there now almost more as a tourist than I do as, as a performer. I try to go at least once a year, but wind up there a couple times every year now, it seems like. So that was the first time I had been invited to go as a band leader to perform my music. Unfortunately, the promoter only had room in the budget for three. And so we went back and forth. Well, what were those three you know, musicians going to be? What instruments were they going to be? And we, we decided on Jorge, Camila, and myself. And so one of the first things we did, though, as we started to reinterpret our catharsis music and also incorporate new songs into our repertoire was embrace the fact that all three of us sing. And we all love to sing. and We all play multiple instruments. So um, although it is certainly a band within a band, it's a smaller group, in some ways we're, because we're all playing multiple instruments and singing, it's taken on almost a larger sonic palette than, than catharsis does at times. So it also forced me to play a lot more keyboard. And so that's where you, you're hearing a lot more keyboard now in the full version of catharsis, which originally was a cordless group. So I think the, the catharsis trio, the, the, the birth of that 
new group has influenced the larger group as well musically. And also for me, it's been been nice to have because touring as a trio is infinitely more doable uh, financially uh, and logistically than it is touring as a quintet. So it's just given us yet another vehicle to bring our music out into the world. And that's been super fun to, to kind of ride that wave. back to something you said a few minutes ago about people's ability to listen to music diminishing over the years. Can you say more about that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, one of the things I do when we're performing live is I I love to highlight the similarities between listening to music and just listening to just to anything. But in today's day and age, I, I like to highlight our inability to listen to each other. I mean, so much of where we are now in America politically and socially is a result of, of a lack of empathy. And I think certainly most, most people kind of on the, the more liberal side of the, the pop, political spectrum uh, recognize that, and that's a common theme these days. And as someone who has made a career and really just lived life through listening to music specifically, um, I, I'm very much interested in finding ways to I don't want to say educate the audience because I, I don't want to come across as kind of an educational performer or someone who's preaching or speaking down to people, but, but just highlighting the fact that as you become better listeners to music, I think you will find a direct correlation to also becoming better listener to your spouse or to your kids or to your parents or to your neighbors. So with that all being said, you know, listening to me is something I'm very much interested in from a, um, from a scientific standpoint, from a, a physical standpoint. And one of the things I run into uh, when, I'm, when I'm working with my students at Hunter College or other students around the country is a kind of lack of realization of just the myriad of ways that we all listen differently. Every single person on this planet hears music differently. We hear different details. We hear different layers of sound And I mentioned this earlier, I think the way most people today listen to music is the words. And they're really good at at, at singing the words back or speaking the words back. It's amazing. They're much better at it than I am. But when I'm listening to music, I'm hearing all these details. I'm hearing the bass line and the specific tone color that the bassist has in one moment and all these details that my students don't hear. And as an educator, that's Something I'm very passionate about is trying to highlight the amount of growth that any one person has to improve their listening skills. And so as a performer, I, I kind of I, I'm, I'm drawing from, I guess, my role as an educator and looking to try and bring those uh, shed some light on that to our to our audience and um, hoping, as I said, that maybe that will create a just a just a better listening environment all around, not just to music, but to each other. That's something I've been thinking about so much, and and not just as it relates uh, to music. You also talked about the fact that we don't listen all that well to each other, which I also agree with. And I've, I noticed, I didn't in, until I was in my forties really start getting into the sounds that are around us when we're just out in the world. And part of that came from getting interested in birds and starting to watch Mm. birds, but then also to realize that there's a lot of bird identification you can do just by hearing and differentiating their songs. And then I've been thinking recently at night, uh, you know, we live in 
downtown in State College, but downtown in State College, Pennsylvania, is still not very downtowny. And so there's a fair <laughs> there's a fair amount of insect and night noise outside, and it's essentially just a wash of noise because I don't know what any of those things are that are making the sounds, mm. but I know that mm. if I start to focus, I can I begin to pick out separate elements, and I guess where yeah. I'm going with this is that I. Th- I feel like, and at the risk of sounding like an old man right now, I feel like we have kind of reached a point in our society where we're so awash constantly in in data of all mm-hmm. kinds, in in advertising, mm-hmm. in our phones, in you know the five different television sets being on in every waiting room you're in, you know every place you go, you're yeah. kind of bombarded, and I I do feel like in many, in many cases, and I'll relate say to this myself, not just accuse everyone else i feel like i'm sometimes losing the ability to discern things in my environment my environment writ large like the whole world around me like it just becomes a wash sometimes and i have to make a concerted effort to really focus in on any particular thing and and see and hear and experience the pieces and man i just don't want to lose that it's it's so it's so essential to who we are as beings on this planet to be able to understand yeah, and realize what's going on around us. I feel like I should yeah, pass and, a collection and to learn plate now. And to improve and to, and to carry forth and, and, and constantly kind of uh, a better, you know, socio and economic uh, world. Yeah. We, we need all of those, those sensors to, 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 to function. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting you mentioned the, the sensory overload because I, I completely agree. We do live in a world where we have more, there's more happening around us and uh, on every level of, of sense. But what's interesting to me in the last 10 years that I've, and I, I really have noticed it in, in just this last couple years of students that have come through college, I, I feel like they're a direct result of this trend, is specifically an overload of the visual sense. Uh, in fact, most young people now listen to music on YouTube. And even if it's just an album cover that's in front of you as they listen to the music, even it doesn't have to be a video, even if it's just an album cover, they, they sit there on their phone or on their computer listening to music with their eyes open, just glued to the screen. And I know firsthand, having listened in that way, that they are not hearing as well as they would if they had their eyes closed or if they were listening in a more traditional environment on speakers or on headphones just to music you know the the minute the visual sense is stimulated the aural sense goes down i think that's that's just making you know the sensory overload thing is is true all all around but i feel like um listening the the ability to listen and the aural sense is particularly being brought down by our current place in in time here um, and I don't know what to do about that. I mean, personally, I, I try to avoid listening to anything on online that's going to be stimulating me visually. And um, but yeah, as as a culture, as 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 a society at large, I'm not sure how that's going to change anytime soon. It's just kind of where we're at. But again, I like to try to at least make people aware of it because many people aren't aware of the way that what they hear changes depending on how how else you're being stimulated. So yeah, it's, uh, I couldn't agree with you more on that, on that regard. just want to uh, recommend to to listeners because it was recommended to me by a listener of this show Chandra uh, there's a, a great BBC audio drama it's it's 
pretty short. It's maybe only 10 episodes or so called Forest 404. It stars Pearl Mackey, who for any Doctor Who fans played Bill in the Peter Mm -hmm. Capaldi era. And the premise Mm. of it is that it's set far in the future when there essentially is no more nature. And there's a, a... government agency whose job is to go through all the old recordings from the previous world and figure out what needs to be kept. So they're discarding, you know, various songs and historical speeches and things that they don't really think are important anymore. And one of the people who's tasked with doing this comes on the recording of a rainforest that sets the whole story into motion Mm. because she's never heard natural sounds before. And she has no idea what it is. At first she says, actually, she says at first in the show, is this jazz? Is this what they call jazz? And it's like frog singing and everything. And she, but she's just never heard it. She has no idea what it is. But it sounds musical to her, you know, because there's there's some pitched elements in it and stuff. And yeah. but just uh, it's it was such a good like splash of cold water on the idea that first of all that everything that we now can hear we're always going to be able to hear because obviously that's already not true. So many things go extinct all the time. Mm. But also that mm. the the kind of the magic that sound can be if you really stop what you're doing and focus in on it. Yeah. I just thought it was really powerful. So anyway, I'll just forest 404 is worth it. If you want to listen to more people talk about the things that Ryan and I are talking about right now. Yeah, no, I'm going to check that out. ASAP man. That sounds right up my alley. You know, I actually got a, uh, a country home up in the Catskills about 10 years ago and uh, being someone from more of the country side of things, definitely not, having grown up in an urban environment, I didn't realize at the time I had at that point lived in New York for 10 years and was really burning out on city living. And I didn't really, I couldn't tell you why I just knew that I needed to get out of New York uh, in some way. And so when we got this, this, this house up in the country, it hit me almost immediately within a week or two of being up there that really what it was almost entirely uh, for me, just having grown tired of, of New York was the sound and, was the constant bombardment of sound and artificial sound at that. And, and uh, we, we, our first season up in our country home was winter and, you know, getting out of your car, as I'm sure you can attest to this while living in, in state college, getting out of your car in the dead of winter, it is almost just as startling as it is getting out of a car in Times Square, but in the opposite sense, because it is dead quiet. There is nothing no sound, no, not even a leaf on the tree to rattle. It's just pure, utter silence. And I realized then, wow, really what I was suffering from was aural fatigue. Uh, and it wasn't, ju- it wasn't just the city in general, but specifically the sounds. And just the, you never, ever get away from sound in, in New York City, no matter how good your windows are, <laughs> no matter how deep in a basement you go, there's always some kind of um, unnatural sound at play. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I think it's, it's a powerful thing. And, and again, our, our obsession with, with image and moving it still and with Instagram and YouTube, I think we have perhaps as a society forgotten just how important sound can be and how healing it can be as well. Ryan, if folks are listening to this around the time that it comes out, it's October 9th, 2019. Are there chances for them to see you either with catharsis or in other capacities live coming up? Absolutely. This is a a busy month for me. Um, Just tomorrow, actually, Thursday and Friday, the 10th and the 11th, I'll be presenting my solo trombone and um, synthesizer music. It's electroacoustic hybrid music that I have composed and will be performing alongside a visual artist and a dancer in an interdisciplinary performance piece we call In the Fold. And we'll be performing that on the Lower East Side of Manhattan at the Chashama pop-up art space. And uh, infor- more information is on my website, uh, ryankeberly.com. But it's a free performance, and it's a super, super cool uh, interdisciplinary piece looking to build on the many similarities um, between these different artistic disciplines. And are, um, are you so kind that, of like that... setting up keyboard soundscapes and things and then playing the trombone live as they go on or how does that work for you playing both exactly well so i have some i have some pre-recorded stuff that i've i've built in in the box so to speak with a specific synthesizer the korg mini log which um is on this album too heard on the record yeah exactly it's uh, kind of my go-to now it's just an incredible incredibly powerful little instrument um but then on top of that i do some looping and then also of course a lot of trombone playing um through some various effects pedals 
uh, just kind of creating these different soundscapes, some more traditional song type sounds, and then others are more abstract, more uh, kind of the sonic landscapes that I, that I build and create. So that's been really fun. Uh, also just have learned so much having worked with these different um, artistic disciplines and the way that they create and the way they go about thinking about improvisation and performing and audience building, et cetera. So that's, that's coming up right away. And then at the end of the month, the Catharsis Trio will be going back out on the road uh, to continue and, and support this, this new album of ours. Um, we'll play in New York City at the Jazz Gallery on October 29th. It's a Tuesday. And then we'll head west and we'll be spending about um, nine days in the Pacific Northwest, which, of course, is where I'm originally from. So we'll be performing in Portland, a couple nights in Spokane, which is my hometown, in Yakima and uh, Seattle and Bellingham. So that is the end of October and early November. So lots, lots coming up here quickly. Ryan, we're drawing near a close, but we we talked a lot in this episode about listening. And so when people go to listen to The Hope I Hold, your new record, or when they go to listen to any music, are there some tips you can give folks, and I include myself in this, for how to become better listeners to music? Yeah, I think it's 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 actually pretty simple because listening is a skill. And like any skill or like developing any strength, be it weight training or uh, cooking, it takes practice. So I think approaching it in that regard, understanding that you can be a better listener than you are now is, is the, 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 the most important point to take away. But beyond that, I think the first thing you can do is shut your phone off, shut your laptop screen, look away from your computer. If that is where you're getting your music from, turn those, that visual stimulation off. And if you can't, shut your eyes and you will be amazed at how much more you hear almost instantly, you will start hearing more detail. And the other thing I might add is I, I run into this a lot with students, but I think that average listeners might have similar sentiments. And, and that is when I say, well, it's something you have to practice, something you have to do, get better at. A lot of people say, well, that's not what I want to do when I'm listening. I listen to relax. I listen to enjoy the music. I don't want to have to work hard. But if, if that is something that, that comes to mind in, in some of, some of our listeners, I would add that, um, the, the better listener you become, the more you're going to enjoy the music you listen to, the more rewarding that music becomes. I can tell you that for certain firsthand and, and knowing that all so many of my peers feel the same way. Um, there's just so much more to glean from any musical recording than you currently are. And the level of uh, appreciation, the level of excitement, the the, the level of all those emotional things that that we that we feel when listening to music will be heightened at the end of the day. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for that question. My guest has been Ryan Keberly. His new album with his band Catharsis is called The Hope I Hold. You can look in the show notes for this episode to find links to Ryan's website, where you'll also find tour dates, uh, although he already has mentioned that he has performances tomorrow and Friday, if you're listening to this in real time, and coming up later this month of October 2019 as well. Ryan, it's just been a, an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm glad we got to kind of uh, talk both about the music, but also about the the larger world. Uh, I really am glad that you came on the show, and I hope you'll come back. Thank you very much for the invitation, Jason. It's been a pleasure. If you like what you just heard, become a member for five or ten bucks a month at thejazzsession.com/slash/join. 
Thanks to my guest this week, Ryan Keberly. You'll find his tour dates and more at ryankeberly.com. As you heard during the show, he is playing a bunch of shows coming up very, very soon. In, in fact, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day it was released. So go to ryankeberly.com and find all the tour dates there and go support live music. Thanks also to the Respect Sextet for the theme music. They're at respectsextet.com. Buy their records. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the logo. You can follow the Jazz Session on social media on Twitter at Jazz Sesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, on Instagram at The Jazz Session. At both those locations, I post a clip from the archives each weekday at 1 p.m. Please do rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Even though I say that on every show and have been saying it on every show for years and years, I think it's been like four years since anyone rated or reviewed the show. So why, why not break the dry spell and go do it right now? Thanks. You can subscribe to the newsletter at thejazzsession.com slash join. It comes out twice a month if you go to... Oh, no, I said thejazzsession.com slash join. That's just because I'm used to saying that. But don't go there. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on newsletter. Anyway, it comes out twice a month. And then come back next time for another conversation about this music on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.